Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Let's start off with a word from our sponsor, BetOnline. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Larry, we have great news. The Wizards are technically the eight seed. I'm usually not super excited about barely sneaking into the playoffs, but the the way this year started, I will happily take uh, finishing an eighth. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on yesterday's game and how they closed up the season? I mean, I think that they were out to accomplish a goal. And I think that they should be very proud of themselves how they came back from you know, the All-Star break and strung together some wins. I know they had a nice little run before the All-Star break. And, you know, coming back, they didn't look as if, though, they were going to go on a run, and they did. And I think that that's a lot to be excited about, is their run that they put on the second half of the season to accomplish a goal, and that's to to make the playoffs and to get uh, some energy from doing that and just just excited for the guys that they were able to accomplish their goal. It's honestly kind of a a remarkable turnaround. Uh, you know, they they had to go on on quite a win streak here to to really get to this position. They closed the season on a seventeen and six run, which is is up there with literally every team. You know, every top team in the league. I think that puts them in fifth over the last like twenty five games or so. But just looking back at our preview show before the season, Larry. So the Wizards finished thirty four and thirty eight. Do you remember how many wins you projected them to have at the start of the year? I don't remember. Help me out. 33. So you were yeah. one game off. That's pretty good. Uh, it's yeah. almost like you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been around this game for a while, and uh, I know a little something. That that was pretty uh, that was pretty funny to go back and listen to. Uh, Vegas had set the line at 33, which is also impressive for the uh, the odds makers that, that they nailed that pretty close to. But I didn't actually give a number upon listening to this back. I said they would be slightly below 500. So I feel like that's that's in the wheelhouse. Um, so I feel like we can go confidently into uh, into next season too, just saying like, yeah, we we could project this pretty quick, uh, pretty close. So for anybody who's not familiar with the play-in format, so the Wizards are the eight seed, which means they play Boston, the seven seed, Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. So the winner of that game becomes the seven seed. The loser of that game plays the winner of the 9-10 game. So Indiana finished ninth, I believe, and Charlotte finished 10th. So 
just to make this easy, let's just say uh, Indiana wins the 9-10 game. So if the Wizards lose to Boston, they would then play Indiana for the right to be the eighth seed. Uh, so Philadelphia finished first, which means if the Wizards end up the eighth seed, they would play the Sixers in the first round. If they end up the seventh seed, they would play the Nets. Larry, I know we had said a couple weeks ago, we both thought that the Nets was a slightly better matchup for them anyway. Is that anything changed in the last like two weeks to, to change your mind on that? No, I think that's still true. I think teams in the Eastern Conference, although uh, Brooklyn is a stacked team, they're going to rely on you know the fact that they haven't been completely healthy and they haven't gotten a chance to, to actually put the pieces together and find a rhythm, find continuity. Uh, in what they're doing. So I think any team in the East, although you look at that on paper and you would probably say we want to stay away from that, I think these teams know how tough it is in the playoffs to win. And then also just the nature of they have to play somebody. So it's like the, you know, picking the lesser of, of both evils. Yeah, I think the matchup just makes sense. You know, it, it makes me, this is where I wish they did have that one sort of one more veteran wing to have to guard Durant or Harden or, or whichever, just to have the extra couple bodies. And that's sort of a similar issue that I see with this Celtics matchup. You know, Jason Tatum's just just been on a tear, basically. For the season, he averaged 26.4 points, career high, 7.4 rebounds, career high, 4.3 assists, career high, shot 46 from the field, 49% from three, and 87% from the free throw line, also a career high. Larry, how do you stop Jason Tatum? Uh, you, you know this better than, than most folks. You're, you're pretty familiar with this game. Like, what's, what's the recipe for slowing him down? Uh, well, I think you have to make him a volume passer. I think that that's the, you know, the recipe that's going to combat his offensive, his offensive skills and his skill set is to make him find open players uh, from multiple levels of, of double teaming, whether it's from the top, whether it's from the baseline. I think you're going to have to change up your coverage on how you play him. Um, obviously, you want to take a Ray. Uh, what he does, you know, as far as his one-on-one game, obviously you want to show bodies for that. But I think it's going to be an all-out double team to make him actually pass the basketball before he wants to pass the basketball. And I think that that's their best shot of getting an offensive player off the ball. But he's a pretty smart kid as well, so he may take that double team and just move the basketball. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's an advantage for the Wizards as well. Yeah, so for anybody who hasn't caught up with the Celtics much recently, they are without Jalen Brown for the, the rest of the run here. So that makes them a little easier to match up with for the Wizards. The last couple times, Washington had been reluctant to put Rui Hachimura on, on Jason Tatum for, for very long stretches. We saw Brad cover him a good amount. We saw Russ on him some. You know, I, I think now that Tatum is mostly sort of playing like power forward for them for the most part, uh, maybe that forces the Rui matchup a little bit more. But Larry, who would you expect to get the bulk of the minutes on Tatum? Well, I, th I think everybody should see a, a piece of, of, of Jay, uh, just making sure that he's getting different looks. Uh, I think you do. I mean, there's an advantage to having uh, Russell and also Brad, you know, spend some time on, on Jason because of how well they move their feet. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're going to guard Jason, you're, you're not going to match him with length. Uh, so you obviously have to bring in the quickness piece of that. And, and make him do things before he's ready to do things. Uh, and then you have, you know, Bonga and you have uh, Rui to bring in that length. I don't think that they're as quick of foot as, as they would need to be to completely shut him down. But I think with giving him different looks and different bodies, that's an advantage that the Wizards can, can take a look at and just throw as many people as you can because, like you said, they're down, you know, a couple players. 
Yeah, I think this is a game where just the way the rotations have gone lately, although with Scott Brooks, that's never sort of a, a great indicator of who will play in a big game. But Hutchison is back in favor at the moment. Anthony Gill's been getting some surprise minutes here or there. So I would be very surprised if we don't see like 25 minutes combined from those guys just to give him like a bigger body to to match in there too, especially if someone gets in foul trouble. But Larry, the Celtics aren't necessarily particularly deep in the uh, in the front court. You know, Tristan Thompson's probably going to get the bulk of the minutes, maybe start at center for them. For the Wizards, who's the best center matchup of the three based on uh, the personnel that that Boston has? Is it Gafford? Is it Lopez? Is it Len? Is it equal time of the three to give them different looks? How how would you play that? Well, I really think it's a combination of those guys. I really think it's a combination and they need to do it by committee. Uh, Last game, I think, you know, they should have started Gafford as opposed to to starting Lynn. I think that you knew what the matchup was going to be. And now, obviously, you want to make a game, you know, an in-game adjustment, and that's fine. Uh, But for this situation and for this team, I think they should do it by committee. Uh, When you have Tristan in the game, you talk about a great offensive rebounder, guy's going to crash the boards. I don't think that that's a great matchup for Gafford. I think that that's a better matchup for Lopez uh, and, and some Lynn. Uh, as, as far as, you know, just showing that length. Mm-hmm. But I think all of them should bring a little bit of something different to the table on what they, uh, on how they help their team. I think Lopez, you want to use him for his strength, his ability to hold his spot, to keep Tristan off the boards, uh, keep a big body occupied. And then Gafford, I think you need him to really hang around that rim and be a deterrent on the defensive end, but also uh, be available to catch those lobs, um, you know, from Wes or from Brad or whoever drive the ball. Yeah, especially coming off the bench, I, I like Gafford for this one because you, you see guys come off the bench for Boston like Grant Williams. There's no way Williams can can challenge Gafford vertically and, and like I said, catch those lobs. Like Grant's a good smart player, but but he's not uh, you know, he's not the most explosive. So I, I think that suits Gafford pretty well. Yeah, and uh, I think Boston will also allow those guys to play a little bit smaller as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that, you know, their their best lineup for Boston is is gonna be your perimeter guys. And that's going to scale down your size a little bit with, with Jalen obviously missing. Um, so I think that that'll be a pretty good matchup for the Wizards. Yeah, I would imagine crunch time is probably Kemba, Marcus Smart, Evan Fournier, Jason Tatum, and I would think Tristan Thompson. And that's, like you said, uh, actually Tatum might be taller than Tristan Thompson at this point. Like, So if, if Tatum's the biggest guy on the floor, uh, you know, th- this is probably not the matchup for the Wizards to go super big, I wouldn't think. And and some of the the last couple nights we've seen a little bit more of the 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 bigger lineup for the Wizards where you had Westbrook, Beal, Hachimura, Bertans, and and Len out there together. I would be very opposed to that personally. I, I don't want to see a single minute where Davis Bertans is is stuck guarding Tatum. I, I know it's going to happen on some switches, but I would do everything in my power to avoid that if I could. Well, that that matchup is better at the four than at the three. Yeah. Because if you have them at the four, then obviously you have another guy with some mobility at the three spot that can help and that can cover for you at the four spot. Sure. When you're at the three, that's when I get a little bit nervous when I see, you know, that that lineup and we have uh, Davis, you know, at the three spot. You know, that's uh, that's a little bit tough for him, especially if he's not making that shot. Yeah. And then he's been so up and down, I, I think just establishing him reasonably early is not a bad move, but 
it seems to me like you could probably try to put him on somebody like smart and, and hide him a little bit uh, and, and just hope that, you know, smart can't get by him at least, or, or you can help uh, help off of him a little bit more. Larry, I, I don't know what the status of Raul Neto is going into this last game yet. I have not seen something from the team about whether or not he's going to be healthy enough to play. Let's assume that he is because uh, it's a playoff game and he's a tough dude and, and he'll uh, try to gut it out if he can, I would imagine. Do you expect the Wizards to go back to that smaller starting lineup and insert Neto back in there uh, based, based on everything we just talked about, about the Celtics allowing you to play small? Or, or do we see Hutchison or, or Gill or one of these guys instead? Yeah, you might see Hutchison instead. I think um, you have to be careful of the minutes between Ish and Neto. Uh, mm-hmm. Ish played very well uh, you know, this last game and played really well throughout, throughout the season. So it, it is going to be a matchup deal. And for this situation in the play-in, you know, you only have that one game, right? It's not a, an actual series. It's not a best of three or best of five. Like, it really is one game. So I think the in-game adjustments are where it's definitely going to be at. Yeah, if, if there's ever a game to, like, shorten a rotation and just, like, give the, the bulk of the minutes to your best guys, the one and done seems like uh, the, the way to go. Uh, just Just sort of pivoting off of that for a minute, let's say that they don't win and aren't successful. Between Indiana... And Charlotte, I would think they would much rather see Indiana at this point. Given all the turmoil there, they've matched up really well against the Pacers this season. And the Hornets, just for whatever reason, give them fits like that. You know, obviously they're without Hayward and that got a little, you know, that that hurts them in terms of depth. But that that game was squirrely and they very easily could have lost that uh, the other day. So am I wrong in thinking that you're you're really hoping that the Pacers pull that one out? Well, I think the Pacers is a better matchup. I really think Charlotte is is on the come up. I really think they have a style of play that's going to fit them well. And I think that now uh, they have some leaders with the, you know in the ball handling space that's going to be willing to move that basketball and also knock down three-pointers. So I would say that Indiana is going to be a better matchup. They've, they've matched up well. Uh, the Wizards have matched up well against Indiana, you know, all year. I think a couple of these guys, you know, on the team have a sweet spot for Indiana. Uh, as well. So I think that that's going to be a better matchup. But at the same time, you know, Matt, when, when you fight all season and then you give yourself two games to get into the to the playoffs, I mean, there should be some energy there. Um, and it really should matter who we play. I mean, that, that should be the mentality. Uh, but I think Indiana is going to be the better matchup. Yeah. And we should say that, you know, that that game against Charlotte was squirrely, but we didn't have a 100% healthy Bradley Beal, at least for the first half of that game. He looked like a slightly different person in the second half. Uh, obviously, we're, we're alluding to the 115-110 win to close out the season against the Hornets. There, that whole first half, I was like, why is Beal out here? He's dragging a leg. He was actually like hurting them on the court. And then something changed in the locker room. I, I don't, I don't know if they gave him some like MJ secret stuff or, or whatever it was, but uh, he, he looked like a different person. He scored 20 points in the second half. Is that just, you know, the adrenaline finally kicking in and him playing through it? Or, or what do you think allowed him to, to really turn it on down the stretch of that game? Well, I, I saw those same things uh, in the first half. He was really dragging the leg. He was uh, not sure of himself. Mm-hmm. And I think he, it was a mental deal. I think he was able to, you know, you know, put his mental over the physical limitations that he had and he was able to focus and then push through. And I think halftime gave him a chance to to refocus, uh, relock in. I don't think anything happened within the injury getting worse or getting better. I just think he was he was more focused and locked in 
uh, mentally and, and said to himself, you know, this injury is not going to, to stop me from accomplishing what I need to accomplish. And a lot of times, man, when you talk to yourself uh, and you do have a strong mental, uh, you're able to overcome those physical limitations just by completely zoning in and locking in on that task at hand. I'm sure he's sore today, no, no question, but um, for that second half, I just think he locked in, you know, a, a lot more. Yeah, it was impressive, and and I was kind of trolling, you know, trolling the 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 internets there, and and seeing people like, hey, they got to get him out. We can't play him. I, I thought the same thing, and and I think Scott Brooks took a lot of a lot of heat for him being out there. Although I I don't know that if that's actually like his final call or not. But Brooks said in his post game yesterday that Beal told him about thirty minutes before the game that he wanted to give it a go. Brooks said he had actually prepared to play the game without him called Beal tough as nails and said that the medical staff said that Beal was good to play as many minutes as possible in the second half. I hope that that's an indicator that this isn't a thing that could have been made worse by playing those additional minutes and, and that we're not going to see like, you know, a, a lessened Beal in this play-in game. Cause I think to beat Boston, you have to have a, you know, the second half Beal and not the first half. Beal. Yeah. I think um, with their ability to, to capture the spot, and give themselves two chances to to win, so they didn't drop down to you know to the tenth spot. I think Bill gave them some energy. I think they were rooting for him. I think they were supporting him as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he just locked in. Like he just locked in. The leg was bothering him, but uh, just the focus on which he he brought to the table, I think his uh, his, his team was going to appreciate that for for a while. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the mental boost? You, like, if Beal may not be helping you in terms of like on-court production, but is one of those things where like he kind of rises, you know, the rises it raises the level for everybody else by by being out there and trying to kind of gut check through things. Well, yeah, I, I think so. I think that that's a boost for, for for the group to see him come out and compete. He's always engaged on the sideline when they're playing games. He's giving advice. He's pumping guys up. He's standing up pretty much the whole game, so he's in it even when he's not on the court. Uh, and for one of your guys to come back that you know is a is a huge piece to what you're doing, obviously he couldn't go out and get the scoring title because of his limitations. But those are the things I think that his teammates wanted for him. And to see him out on the court uh, playing hard, giving it his all, you're going to make your teammates play harder to make sure that your effort, you know, you know it, it won't go uh, in vain, right? You want to make sure that this guy came out, you know, he came out of the closet for us. To, to put the cape on, we want to make sure that we win the game for him. And I think that that's what that was, is those guys pulling together. Yeah, that, that leads me to a couple other of the post-game comments last night. Westbrook talked about this. Robin Lopez talked about this. Ish Smith talked about this. And just how, you know, that stretch of the year where they were really, you know, really getting their butt kicked. And, and the first couple of games after the All-Star break where they came out really flat, they said that that was the thing that, like, really – help them kind of come together and, and gel as a team because they just, you know, I think they were all collectively sick of where they were at and thought they were better than that. Have you ever been in a situation where like a team underachieving actually helped you kind of come together as a group longer term? Well, I think like when you start, you know, your, your training camp, you go at it with the idea that you want to win a championship and you want to do everything possible to put yourself in a position to win a championship. So when you go through stretches and you're struggling, you know that that's not how you prepared. You know that that's not the sort of work that you put in uh, in the offseason. You know that's not the expectation that you have for yourself. So it's a collective deal where you get one or two or three or four teammates 
you know, that may be a little season, may not be, um, may have a, a, a bigger role on the team or may not. But you start to have conversations on how to pull these things together and how to change the trajectory of, of the season if you're going down the wrong path. What are the things that we can do to, to help us be successful? Do we need to get into the practice gym more? Do we need to watch more film? Do we need to take our job more seriously? I mean, all of these things will factor into those conversations. So it's like anytime a team sees that we are not performing the way that we were supposed to perform, it's uh, pull the troops together so we can figure this thing out. And what you want to do is you want to see fight, right? There's a fine line in the NBA of winning and losing games. But if you see that your group is fighting every night, they're showing up early to shoot around, they're showing up early to practice, uh, they're leaving late um, because the preparation is there, then that's when you know that you can weather the storm to some degree. Is that going to have you top four seed in the in the playoffs? Uh, maybe not. But for them to weather the storm and make it to the playoffs, I think that's a testament to, you know, three, four, five of those guys in the locker room really uh, coming together and figuring this thing out. Yeah, everything we, you know, you hear for the most part is about Westbrook's leadership and his impact on the team and the intensity he brought and changing the culture and all this stuff. But, you know, we, we talked a couple times during the year about how some of that really needed to come from other guys like Robin Lopez, who's been in a lot of situations or Ish Smith or, or even how old Neto to some extent, you know, to the guys that weren't getting a ton of minutes, like he can talk to them about what that's like, whereas somebody like Brad can't really shed like you know, too much insight into to how, you, you know, you, you crack the lineup or, or things like that. So I give Tommy Shepard a good amount of credit. Like he brought in dudes that, that seemed to, to be able to help, like kind of steady the ship when, when things weren't going as, as well as they would have liked the, the one guy I, I sort of, I'm going to begrudgingly give a little credit to here is Scott Brooks. Like that, that could have been tough for a coach. He, he could have got fired. Like we talked a lot about Nate McMillan, you know, changing things over in Atlanta and what a turnaround they did. But this team kept their coach and still managed to put together a pretty impressive turnaround. And, and I don't think you usually see that too often. So uh, Russell Westbrook said one of the keys to their turnaround was was giving credit to Scott Brooks. Like you, you got to give our coach credit. Number one behind the scenes. Scotty is one hell of a coach. All of the outside noise, it doesn't really matter because we know how important he is and I know him, how important he is to myself and to the team. Uh, you know, I don't love the behind the scenes. Scotty is one hell of a coach. I'd love to uh, I'd love to think that, you know, on the surface, everybody can see what a great coach he is. But uh, we've definitely had some questionable moves. But what kind of endorsement like how important is an endorsement from somebody like Westbrook um, for, for Scott Brooks, you know? when trying to keep keep his job really during the season and, and keep players bought in and engaged? Well, it's very important because like we've always said through through this podcast and through this season is we wish we could be, be a fly on the wall because there's just information that we're not privy to. Um, and we shouldn't be privy to because I've been in those locker rooms, I've been in those situations, and I know, you know how things can get skewed or how things can be looked upon depending on what's happening in that locker room. So we've we've said all along that we just want to see and understand what the strategy is behind some of the moves. And these things were being done, you know, in the midst of a storm. I mean, when they were struggling. So from a fan base standpoint, just trying to understand the direction of the team, I think all of the questions were were definitely warranted. I think that the questions that we had uh, definitely needed, you know, some answers. And it is a testament to the coach of the, of the personality that the coach needs to help the players that are in the locker room be successful 
mm-hmm. you know, on and off the court. And each personality that a coach, you know, a, a coach personality is not for everyone. It can match up better for certain players. Uh, certain players can then help the team understand the personality. Uh, but there is a personality that the coach needs to be successful. And it looks in this situation that Russ is all for Coach Brooks. Brad Beal is all for Coach Brooks. I mean, 30 minutes before the game, he's got to come in and say, hey, let me give it a shot. His situation is not on the line, right? I mean, he's not in necessarily any, any jeopardy, uh, but he's going to do that for his team and for his coach. Uh, so when you have that dynamic, uh, you just have to understand that from the outside looking in and give him his credit and give him his praise, uh, you know, where you can. And for him to have a situation where there's limited practice, there's a COVID outbreak, there's uh, Russell dealing with his injuries to start the season. I think all of those things, you know, really played a part in how the season went. And then for them to bring it all together at the end, give them two shots, two games to make the playoffs. I think that that's a very successful uh, season that's, that Coach Scott Brooks had. I sat in on the Ted Leonsis media availability earlier, I guess at the end of last week, maybe it was on Friday. And he got asked directly, like, will we see Scott Brooks back next year? And, and, you know, Ted gave a typical like owner vague answer. Like you don't expect him to be like, nah, we're firing that guy regardless. But it, it was along the lines of, you know, Hey, everything's kind of on the table right now. We're just going to see how this plays out and then evaluate, you know, literally everything we can at the end of the season, which is what you would expect. And I, I think, you know, some of the subtext there folks took as, Hey, Scott needs to do like a good job. Like the play in isn't enough. Like we need to see a playoff run. We need to see a good playoff showing. I'm sort of more of the opinion that as long as this thing doesn't end terribly, given the support that he has from Westbrook and Beal, I would expect to see Brooks back next year. Where, where are you kind of on this so far, Larry? Yeah. Again, I don't, I don't see any sort of just crazy collapse. I think the guys that are on the team is not going to let that happen. I think that they're going to give energy and effort. You know, maybe they're not making shots. Maybe they're not making the exact right play, but I don't think a complete collapse is where you see almost like the players kind of give up on the coach and not necessarily really support what the coach is doing. I've definitely you know seen that happen. Um, so what I expect to happen is for them maybe to boost up their assistant coaching staff, just to give them, another voice just to give them another leader. I'm not necessarily sure of, again, the outside looking in. I don't know necessarily the rules and the responsibilities of everyone that coaching staff. But when you talk about the head coach and the ability to maneuver around, most times you see, you know, someone join the staff that has some cachet or has something uh, of value to the organization that you could potentially see uh, stepping in if, you know, if things go the, the wrong way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, not that a guy like this would would take a an assistant job at this point in his career, but like maybe a Sam Cassell or a Wes Unseld or, or one of those guys that players have respect for and they have some ties to to the organization and things like that. You know that that puts a little more pressure on Scott Brooks too to like do his job. You know, like the, at the highest level when when your potential replacement is on your staff. I don't know if that's something he'd be resistant to, or if he even if they would even care, but I, I, I would bank on seeing Brooks back next year and, and just kind of giving this one more go with, without those excuses on the table. I, I doubt he gets like a five-year extension or anything crazy, but, but maybe a two-year one seems, seems realistic. 
I, I will say the nature of the business also is these guys recycle an awful lot. So, sure. you know, these head coaches that have jobs and roles, I mean, they're a little bit nervous, but they're almost the first in line, you know, for the next job. So, you know, it kind of is what it is. Yeah, for sure. The, the other thing we just circling back to some of the veteran leadership things, Russ got asked about his leadership style and said that his the key to his style of leadership is to just not sugarcoat things. And he learned a long time ago that sugarcoating things doesn't get you anywhere. Can you talk a little bit, Larry, about like what the value that is to a locker room when like, I'll say maybe not your best guy, one of your two best guys is just like very frank and honest and transparent with everyone else? I think that's the best way to go. I mean, I'm now in the business life, and, and that's something that I practice, you know, with my staff, with everybody I meet, uh, deals that I'm that I'm doing, that I'm involved in. You know, it's honesty over harmony, right? I mean, you want to have cohesion. You want to, for things to be run smoothly, but you have to be honest because if it's just harmony, then you're not challenging each other. You're not moving forward. You're not getting better. So always, I mean, I've been living under that mantra for a little while now. It's, it's honesty over harmony. And I think that's exactly what Westbrook does. Uh, I'm watching a game the other day. He goes in to shoot a layup. He immediately turns around and sees his teammate. I'm not sure exactly who it was, um, but he's yelling, get your ass back. <laughs> like, so he's processing things at a, at a rate and at a level that most guys in the league aren't processing things. But if he's not vocal in that approach, if he allows his teammate, he knows that he has a layup, so we're going to score the ball. Mm -hmm. So we know that this is a possession sort of NBA. He knows that they're going to take that ball and they're going to run it right back at them. So his first start is, I got to score the layup and then I got to get back. And he turned around and saw his teammate kind of running in, maybe to follow his layup. And he was like, you got to get back. And if you don't say those things in the moment, it, and, I, and I think he said, get your ass back. And if you don't say those things in a moment where it alerts your teammates, it may go unheard or it may be just a one-off. But I can guarantee you the next time that that guy went west, you know, at half court, he knows that he has a layup, he's going to get his ass back. And that could be the difference between winning and losing a game yeah. with four or five seconds on the clock and we score a layup, we don't get back, they score, they win by one. So I think that that is a, a, a great thing to have. And it looks like Russ keeps things in perspective and he's not just, you know, off the wall with, with how he uh, communicates to his teammates. Yeah. And you can be honest with people without being mean too. like, and if, if you have the right character guys in the locker room that can take things the right way and you deliver it the right way, him, him even snapping at somebody in the moment wouldn't be necessarily taken the wrong way because he's built up that credibility with them. And, you know, they would, they know what he's like in the locker room and, and all those things. So I, I think that's, that's huge. And, and I don't necessarily know that like you see that on on all of these sort of good teams where like the best guys, you know, necessarily like, giving people tougher love. Yeah, he's like a Draymond. I mean, Draymond's going to try to get you to give that extra effort, even if he knows you're not going to be able to get there. Sure. And I see I see Westbrook doing that as well when they're getting in the scram, when they're making rotations. He's he's telling his teammate like you got to be there, and the teammate's like both hands up like I can't get there but it's the challenge of what he brings to the table to keep challenging you to be better and I think Westbrook does a great job of that and, and also uh, Draymond Green does a, does a really great job of that uh, he gets a little bit wild and, and out of control but I think he still does a really great job of, of motivating his teammates 
Totally agree. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be honest, I, I don't know how much that had happened in, in this Wizards locker room in the last few years. Like you, you didn't really hear those same stories about Wall in the same way. Uh, and, and Beal, I don't think had sort of that vocal leadership role identified at, at that point, uh, you know, in his career. So, um, yeah, definitely cool to see. The other thing I thought was a funny comment from the other week it was from Anthony Gill about getting some minutes and having a couple of good games. He said, coach did say something to me before the last game. He said that he thought that I was trash at the beginning of the season. I'm glad that he doesn't think that about me now. Gil was joking, but I, I do wonder if that's something Scott Brooks said sort of sarcastically to him, knowing his sense of humor. But that seems like a dicey thing to say to any pro athlete, even if you're kidding, because, you know, this is your career and the guy came back from overseas to try to make it in the league. Like, you just you got to be really careful saying that to a dude and know that he's going to take it the right way before you say it. That's it. I mean, anything can be done anyway with the relationship that's built. Yeah. I mean, whether, you know, if, if you have a relationship and obviously, you know, different conversations are in play versus if you don't have a relationship. So, yeah, I mean, and that's kind of the new word now. I mean, I'm sure Scott has, has heard that, you know in the locker room or in the, you know, in the practice gym, you know, just about players being trash. So I think that that was obviously more probably a sarcastic deal, but if you don't have the relationship, it doesn't matter if you're trying to be funny, you know, being truthful or whatnot. If, if you don't have a relationship and telling an NBA player that he's trash, you, you may have to see, you may have to see him later on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially a guy that was glued to the bench for the first two months of the season. Like he might've said it jokingly, but, the, the amount of minutes he got me, you know, it makes you think maybe you, you actually meant it. Um, so, so that was, it was both funny, but like a little bit concerning. Uh, you know, I, I hope Scott Brooks uh, treads very carefully with things like that. Uh, just a couple other things I, I want to hit real quick before we get out of here. Uh, so Russell Westbrooks, he, he had a stretch and, and I did not include this most recent game, but he had a 34 point, 15 assist game, 28 point, 21 assist game. 33 points, 15 assists, 13 points, 17 assists, 29 points, 17 assists, 14 points, 24 assists, stretch in a row. And after that last game, he'd said, I'm the best playmaker in this league. Well, Westbrook has now won his third assist title with a career best 11.7 assists per game. Larry, is he the best playmaker in the league? Is he right? Uh, I mean, the numbers would say he's 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 up at the top of making plays because he's able to get his guys in position to score the basketball. It's not easy to gain assist in this league. You have to rely on other guys to shoot the basketball to make shots. Uh, their team is not necessarily, um, you know, they don't have a lot of the names that you know a number of these other teams have. You have overseas guys. You have guys that are trying to make a name for themselves in the league. And he's still going out and he's getting them the basketball and putting them in positions to, to score. So, I mean, he has an argument. Uh, his style of play and, and, you know, their ability to win basketball games is, is, you know, somewhat in question. But his ability to, to make plays, I would say he's at the top of the, of the league. I mean, just his ability to not only create for himself with scoring, you know, 20-plus, but also have, you know, 10, 12, 15 assists. I mean, that's playmaking ability. That's playmaking ability for himself, but there's also playmaking ability for the other guys on his team that are not able to, uh, to get them, get those things on, on their own. So, you know, that's a long answer, but if we had to, to, to look at it, you know, I would say yes. <laughs> I, I thought about this and 
I think the immediate like connotation that comes to mind when you hear someone talk about being a playmaker is like the really flashy, he created something out of nothing for a guy with a pass, like the LaMelo ball, you know, 75 foot chest pass lob to a guy perfectly in stride for a dunk. Like I feel like Westbrook doesn't really do those kinds of things. Like his, his playmaking is a little bit more, it's probably the least flashy part of his game. Like he's just sort of bread and butter, meat and potatoes, assists guy, but if you do it at a high enough volume, like it's really hard to argue with. So he, he might not be like a passing savant or something, but uh, if you just do it, you know, if you're robotic about it, it, it's, it still counts. Yeah. And I think he knows what he's doing. I think he is, you know, strategic about how he passes, where he passes, where he wants his, his, uh, his offensive players to be. I know he has this thing with, with Lopez when he drives towards the middle, he basically takes two guys with him and he just lays that arm out there and allows the ball to kind of release and Lopez comes around to score it. So as far as to just understand the game, uh, his ability to make plays for himself and also for others, I think that there's something to, to talk about. You have CP who's obviously a great playmaker. He's going to create all the angles to allow his teammates to be better. But then Russ scores at a higher clip because He's putting himself in that play. He's putting himself in that playmaking mode. So, yeah, man, I, I got to give him credit. I got to give him credit for that. The only other one that kind of came to mind, and this might not be like the most obvious answer, though, is James Harden. Just the way he's gone back to playing in Brooklyn as sort of more of the early Houston James Harden, where he scored and created for other guys. I think that's maybe the guy you could put up there if, if the raw numbers sort of aren't aren't the same, but you know, he's definitely creating plays, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing to think about. And, and for Westbrook, the sort of subtle nuancey stuff you just talked about again, not to give them excuses, but he's figured those things out with guys in a limited sample set without practices. And, and this isn't like most years where like, you know, you guys are chilling at a restaurant after a game and you could be like, Hey, I really like that ball, you know, closer to my left hip, you know, or, or, or whatever it is. So, so that, that, that he led the league in assists, you know, given those circumstances, I, I think is, is maybe actually his most impressive accomplishment to me this year. I mean, I know the triple doubles is huge and all we want to talk about, but that it's pretty, pretty big deal. No, I, I think it's cool for us to sing his praises. I, it, that was almost like a midseason trade. I mean, yeah. just the, you know, how the, the seasons went and kind of the expectation of starting, you know, this season. I don't think that there was any expectation that Westbrook would start this season with this team. Uh, for him to come over with everything that's going on, those things that you mentioned, uh, as far as not having practice time, not necessarily knowing the guys, you know, a number of these guys are, are, are quote unquote journeymen. And for him to figure it out and to still be productive and still put the pressure on to, to average a triple double, it's insane. I mean, it, it is it is something that, you know, I never thought that I keep seeing, not, not alone see him average a triple double, but he's done it like multiple years with four out of the last five years. So for him, I, I got to give him the crown. I, I got to give him the crown for this season with everything that's going and, you know, went on. And then for them to put themselves in a position to be in the playoffs, you know, I, I got to give him the crown this year. And this was a dude that didn't get drafted being known for his playmaking. Like he was basically like a six foot four ish small forward. That was a freak athlete. And, and this is what he's turned into. So I, that that's that's probably the most impressive part to me. And he did pass former wizard Rod Strickland for 12th all time on the assist list. So 
that's another tally to add to the record book for for this year. Larry, I want a couple. I want to pivot to a couple fan questions here, real quick, from Paul Valmarescu on on Twitter. Who was the better big three when fully healthy? Is it Russ Beal Hachimura or was it Arenas Butler Jameson? He's going with with the older guard there. Who would uh, who would you take of of those trios? Uh, I would go with Arenas Butler Jeff, uh, Jameson. Uh, just those guys were were good. I mean, and, and they were established. Uh, but more importantly, they were really, really good, you know, as an individual. And then for them to come together in D.C., I think that they I think that that's the, the, the better big three. I totally agree there. Maybe in a couple more years, if Westbrook and Beal could keep it up and, and Rui continues to make some strides, you know, then we can talk from Thomas at oh so boring dude on Twitter. Does Larry have any good dumb coaching moment stories where a coach really got in the t- way of a team winning a game? Anything come to mind where like everybody kind of knew it was a bad idea, but, but you guys, you know, went with it anyway. Um, not, not right off the top, man. Not right off the top. There has been many, you know, situations where, you know, a coach wanted to do something and, you know, once you get out on the court, that's your space. Right. So there's been many times where a coach has called something in a, in a huddle and, you know, we get out on the court, we see a matchup, and we change the play. I mean, that was that's not anything, you know, crazy, but that's that happened a, a lot during my career. Just not saying that the coach didn't know what he was doing, but once you get out there in between the lines, in some cases, man, I have to be honest, like the players know best. Yeah, right. You're out there and you've got the feel for the game and, and how certain things are working and not, you know, from, from a firsthand perspective. Uh, I, I totally get the, hey, we got to call an audible here. But do you ever guys walk like walk out of the huddle and be like, oh, hell no, we're, we're not doing that no matter what, even regardless of seeing how they match up? Yes, yes, <laughs> that, that that is where it, it happened many times. I mean, you talk about a defensive coverage or, you know, obviously, you know, when I was going, it was more of a show and get under and get back to your man. You know, if we didn't think that that was working or coaches calling, you know, show and get under. You know, hey, we're gonna switch this one. We <laughs> we gonna switch this play. So yeah, for sure. I uh, you know, just just playing like sports growing up and stuff. There was always one guy you walked out of the huddle and like you guys got out on the court and one of the guys was like, "Hey man, what play are we running? Like, what are we in? <laughs> Is that a thing that happens in the NBA where like there's always the one guy that was zoned out in in the huddle or whatever and has no clue what's happening? Hey man, we we don't all come from the same backgrounds <laughs> of, of basketball. <laughs> Sometimes you have to help those guys out for sure. But yeah, I mean, that's, that, that happens a lot. So one of the other questions we got on Twitter was from Greg Hayes. Greg asked about Scott Brooks being back next year. So I think we covered that one pretty well. And then from Isaiah, even if the Wizards aren't contending for a championship, what's sort of the most positive takeaway that, you know, they can walk away from this season with? Uh, just to, to compete. You know, the, their ability to compete, their ability to fight through adversity, uh, their ability to stick together. Like You don't know who's going to be on the team next year, but you have to applaud those guys for sticking with this situation this year and no one going off the rails and trying to, you know, really do their own thing or making wild comments when, you know, when we're, you know, when the team is struggling. So I think that that's definitely things that you can take away from making the playoffs like this year is crazy. Um, as far as the play-in games, as far as that those teams on the bottom half. And you can take some credit for being like 
on the top of the play-in scenario, right? I mean, you won the right amount of games. You were, you know, the things that were, were challenges to you, you overcame those challenges. So I think that it's a, it's a win. I think it's a win. Your ability to go out and compete and play at a high level to make it to a series in the, in the, in the uh, playoffs, I think it's a win. They had just sort of limped along all season and ended up at like somewhere between eight and 10. I wouldn't have maybe felt the same way I do about just given how bad the start was. Uh, everything you just talked about to, to like not quit, I think is a meaningful thing about this core of people moving forward that, that you can take away as a GM and be excited about that, that you put together some guys that, that like aren't going to give up, I, I think is not sort of a, a trivial aspect there. All right, Larry, we, Tuesday night, game's at 9 o'clock. I know we'll both have our popcorn ready. Uh, any any final thoughts here you want to leave folks with? No, I think the ability for the, the Wizards to make the play-in situation and get to that seventh spot and give themselves uh, it, you know, two games to obviously make it to the playoffs, you get even more energy, you get even more juice with making it to the playoffs. So I see those guys you know, trying to make a run. And this is a wild year. I mean, with everything going on, I mean, you had – what Houston Rockets at the sixth seed, you know, winning a championship, you know, years back. I mean, this is crazy time. So just lay it all on the line, you know, go for it, continue to stick together, continue to be vocal, continue to use, you know, honesty over harmony and and have some fun with it. See what happens. Yeah. To your point, I don't think anybody saw Miami's finals run coming, you know, in the middle of the bubble last year too. So, so you never know when you can get the right matchups and, and make some noise. So, uh, folks, we'll be back with you next week. Hopefully we'll have some actual playoff matchups to to talk about at that point, and, and we can really continue to, to break things down for you. Again, send us any questions you have, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.